It is spring, a time when many of us are planting and preening and reveling in the splendor of life all around us. Here at UUCL, we are readying our butterfly garden, our monarch way station for the arrival of these beautiful creatures. We know that they need us, and we are ready at the call. Their life source, the milkweed plant, is desperately low, and their numbers are dwindling because of it. And so we plant. We sow our seeds of hope, believing that we can make a difference, seeing the need, filling it. Now, it is worth noting that the monarch doesn't provide any direct benefit for humans. For example, they aren't prolific pollinators like bees. So, in other words, there isn't anything in it for us except that we love them. We recognize their beauty, their innate value, and want to help them. Their presence, though, is an indicator of a healthy environment. The absence of butterflies in your ecosystem is a sign that something is out of balance. And so we engage in multi-step processes to build a haven for these creatures. We make a choice to break ground, purchase, or even cultivate your own flowers, plant them, mulch them, weed them, water them. Care and attention is given every day for an entire season or season after season. We don't pass judgment on the monarch butterfly in any stage of its development. We accept what it is, we accept its journey and challenges, and we mindfully, lovingly build them a garden and wait on wings to arrive. Now, we aren't trucking these butterflies from garden to garden. They are working very hard themselves. Their commitment to survival is unquestioned and inarguably difficult. The monarch migration is an incredibly long and arduous one from Canada to Mexico. It is astonishing and inspiring to me that such a fragile creature takes up such an overwhelming task. The delicate monarch doesn't look ahead and say, nope, I'll never make it all the way to Mexico. It'll be easier to stay here in Canada, so that's what I'll do. No, it just keeps going flying ever onward on wings of faith, believing that there will be a garden for them to stop in and refuel, moving forward until one is found. And in this relationship of need and nurture, where two seemingly very different beings are each putting in a lot of effort, I have never heard even one person say, Monarch should try harder. Milkweed's vanishing, monarchs should just decide to get over it. Monarch is manipulating me. I'm not going to enable monarch by planting a butterfly garden. He has to find food for himself. Monarch's just doing this for attention. Now consider for a moment another kind of creature on a journey of faith and hope. 
To me, the monarch's journey isn't so very different than one of a person suffering with mental illness. They are the most fragile, their wings most easily torn. They have longer to travel than the rest of us to arrive at a place healthy for them. They're waiting for their wings. But are we all rushing to build way stations for sufferers? Are we cultivating gardens of hope for these people who need it the most? Are we ready at the call? And why not? Sadly, mental health is still a taboo topic in our society. The broad spectrum of ailments suffered by so many is stigmatized, misunderstood, avoided. The existence of mental illness even being a thing is rejected by some. But in order to move past suffering, we must acknowledge and accept suffering. Here's the truth. Let's say there are 50 people here today. 50 human souls, each with their own stories. Now look around you. According to statistics, about 12 or 13 of us in this room right now are suffering with our mental illness health in some way. The most recent studies show that an American committed suicide every dozen minutes or so. Suicide is more common than homicide, and after cancer and heart disease, it accounts for more years of life lost than any other cause of death. But nobody wants to talk about mental illness. Let's talk about it. I'd like to read you something now, not my words, it's called The Ice Palace Called Life, subtitled Where I Live. When I think about dying, I think about love, I think about having fun. I think about creating mischief and having fun, being a kid again. Living in the ice palace, it's a very cold place. Surrounded by things, my things, nice things. I want them, I need them, I have to have them. To love, honor, cherish, but most of all to gather, then give away. To spread joy, have some fun, make someone happy. I'm a giveaway. I love to have fun in my ice palace. I call life. I'm not alone, although I am lonely. I have my princess, and I have my king, and I have my life, and I have the gift of sharing, but I am cold. And I feel like dying in my cold, cold palace. I give away my love. These are the words my father wrote, intended as an offering of insight into what he was feeling in the years leading up to his death. He signed his would-be eulogy, Jamie Jean, but his given name was Charles. 
He had changed it in what I understand now as an attempt at redefining himself. Like a caterpillar, he had a need to shed an old skin which defined him as less than. If only it had been so simple. Growing up in small-town West Virginia as the youngest of five rough-and-tumble boys, his homosexuality was a hidden shame that defined him. That, coupled with the fact that mental illness is a thread tying together generations in our family, and he had neither nurture or nature going for him. Jamie knew that he wasn't physically alone, but still he felt lonely. I mean, an ice palace is no place for a butterfly. It's pretty much the opposite of a garden. No one can survive there for long. Even Elsa fled hers. It'd be like the monarch staying on in Canada for the winter. It simply wouldn't survive. The place where each brick of his ice palace was forged, the foundation of that place was loneliness. Mood disorders, anxiety disorders, psychotic disorders, eating disorders, attention deficit disorders, personality disorders, co-occurring disorders like substance abuse. So many disorders. So many troubled minds. And yet a common thread can be found. Isolation. It is the hallmark of many cases of mental illness. Oftentimes, it is perceived isolation. Sometimes, sadly, the isolation is real. You feel as if no one understands you, like no one else has experienced this suffering. No one can relate. You feel like if they knew the real you, they wouldn't, they couldn't possibly love you. There is judgment, and you feel shame. And when there is no one talking about it, when there isn't a societal dialogue bringing these things out of the darkness and into the light, it is easy to see how those perceptions of isolation persist. The journey through mental illness and towards balance is not the work or responsibility of those surrounding the sufferer. We cannot walk the path for them. Those in the depths even of despair must find within themselves the will to take those necessary steps. I do believe, however, that it is a dual path. Now it's true. You cannot fix someone. Attempting to do so can only end in heartache. And when you fail in your fix, Both parties are frustrated and blame the person suffering for not being fixable. To solve that problem, we must re-examine the goal. We mustn't set out to diagnose someone, to define or deny their suffering, to direct someone, to change someone, to fix someone. But instead, set out to love someone The love could become the foundation for someone hurting or struggling with mental illness to heal themselves or to create their own sense of place in the world. Love is the spirit of this church. Love. We receive.
recite these words every Sunday, but what is love, really? How do you love somebody? The Dalai Lama puts it simply. Love is the absence of judgment. And I think I agree with him. It's easy to love the easy people. The ones who always seem happy and never ask anything of you. The hard people, though. The difficult, complicated people. The challenging relationships. It is hard to love the hard people. Because with the people who need something from us, we are challenged to rise above our own needs and to love unconditionally, without judgment. We are challenged to have empathy and develop compassion. I think sometimes the judgment is an attempt to deflect the sense of burden and feelings of overwhelm that go along with being a place of strength or peace for someone suffering mental illness. I certainly identify with that feeling. Why even take it on? For the same reason we do not turn away from the impoverished, from the many groups of minorities, from the plight of the monarch, because there is, as there ought to be, an unbearableness at the sight of others' suffering. Because we understand that within our own selves, we carry an innate desire and right to be happy, have peace, We believe that every being has the same capacity and right. As simple as this will sound, developing compassion, even with the hard relationships, and sometimes that hard relationship is with ourselves, begins with deciding to have compassion. It is a choice, and there is power in choice. Imagine that a very heavy barbell is laid at your feet and you are forced to pick it up every day over and over hours each day straining your body and tearing your muscles it is a burden to say the least you feel helpless and resentful now consider that an athlete does this willingly it isn't a burden for them and the only difference is choice Same weight, different attitude. It is like this with compassion. When we make the choice to face the difficult relationships with compassion, there is a sense of empowerment and commitment that replaces the burden. Our seventh principle reminds us that we must have a respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. It's the principle that reminds us that monarchs are important too, that we must care for those among us who cannot save themselves, plant a garden for them. Yet, we are living in a society and time which passionately values independence and self-reliance. It is practically ingrained in our DNA as Americans. But is it really a human trait? Unlike many other animals, but not unlike the monarch caterpillar, we are born dependent on others providing us with a set of circumstances. We're not fit to survive on our own until many years later, needing all the while human care, contact, 
affection to keep alive. And then, suddenly, we are to become independent. We set out on our own to prove to others and to ourselves that we no longer need anyone else to survive. Dependence is now viewed as a weakness. Asking for help or receiving it when offered is viewed as taking advantage. If you help someone once some arbitrary mile marker has been passed, you're enabling them to be dependent, preventing them from helping themselves. It is jarring to realize that we judge not only others, but also ourselves about an inclination to depend on others, even in times of need or crisis. An old friend stopped by the other day. She told us of her bout with cancer. The chemotherapy treatment she received left her so weak that she could not walk on her own. She described the experience of her husband having to hold her up to walk as demoralizing. Most of us would react to that situation in the same way as her husband. She is hurting, struggling. I cannot cure the cancer, but I can help you walk. Beautiful butterfly, I cannot make the flight for you, but I can plant this garden. It was heartbreaking to hear her say she was demoralized. She had lost hope as a sufferer of physical illness. Cancer, by the way, one which is quickly acknowledged, empathized with, and not judged. She lost hope because even though there was help present, she could not care for herself by herself. Imagine, then, how easy it is to lose hope when you are suffering a mental illness and the help isn't presenting itself. There is no one there to hold you while you walk. There is no garden. This self-reliance that we value and often insist upon ourselves and others, even those in mental crisis, hold on to your pews, folks, that self-reliance is an illusion. Let's choose a task. Bathing suit season is upon us, so let's say our task is losing weight. That is a choice we are making, and no one else can do it for us, right? So we get a gym membership. Someone maintains the facility, the computer system, the equipment. Someone else has manufactured that equipment, and another transported it to the gym so you can use it. We'll need to eat a healthier diet to lose this weight, so we'll go get some food. A salesperson sells it to us in a store maintained by yet another person. That food is distributed. Someone might even leave his family to haul it in a big rig from there to here. A farmer has cultivated it using tools that yet another person has manufactured and distributed. The soil, the earth itself, and the pollinators have all contributed to the growth of that food. Then repeat the process all over again for those athletic shoes that you'll need to work out. And you begin to see that even though it was you who took action to move your life towards health, virtually every part of your attempt to lose weight is supported by others' efforts. Indeed, virtually every part of our lives is, at least in some way, the result of others' efforts. 
Why, then, should our mental wellness or struggles be excluded from this fact of human existence? If you are able, extend your hand to someone. If you are hurting, accept that outreached hand. We are all our hands and holders. When we let go of the denial of our interconnectedness, our interdependence, when we let go of the denial that, just like the eradication of the milkweed plant, mental illness and the isolation that accompanies it is at an epidemic level, and that is having devastating effects on those among us who are still waiting on their wings. When we let go of the judgments, the negative associations placed on ourselves or on others that may be holding us in that place of separateness from our fellow human, when we let go of what we've been holding on to, then we can reach out our hands. When we let go, then we have open spaces in our hearts to plant the seeds of compassion, to cultivate gardens of love, to become way stations for those in need. When we let go, we can connect And when we do that, it changes everything.